welcome to the Hammerin' Will Bonhoeffer House podcast, exploring the good, the true, and the beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. This is episode 26, an interview with Aaron Whirl. Before we get to our interview with Aaron Whirl, this is episode 26. Well, we just came back from an excellent trip to Richmond, where we were doing some Bonhoeffer House work. And so if you've been listening and you've been tuning in because of the excellent interviews that we have, they're excellent, mm-hmm. the excellent guests that we have, mm-hmm. uh, if you're tuning in because you're interested in exploring the idea of vocation, calling, what it looks like to honor God in a variety of different ways, but you're not sure what the Bonhoeffer House is. Yeah. What is it, Michael? Bonhoeffer House is a network of churches partnering together to form the next generation of pastors and church planters. That's good. Uh, specifically in in cohorts. Cohorts. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we founded the Bonhoeffer House really around the idea of life together, but not just life together, life together uh, in, in ministry apprenticeships and meaningful ways in cohorts in local churches and uh, with a, a heavy emphasis on theological formation. We partner with Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Shout out to Southeastern. Sebbets. Sebbets. Uh, and we, we really, it is a network of local churches. Uh, that is, it's in some ways you think about it like a network of, uh, a, a, a pastoral training network. Yeah. You know, not a church planting network, not a denomination, but a pastoral training network. And we just got back from Richmond where, yeah. exciting news, we are expanding. We're, we're hoping to open up a cohort in Richmond. We're planning to in the fall of 2021. Yeah. Making moves. We're going to have a, our first group of apprentices uh, coming through a cohort there, taking classes there, working as an equip center of Southeastern. Yep. And so uh, that's exciting, working with some churches up there, Movement Church, the Village Church. Who else? We were with South City. Yep. Uh, yep. And with our with really our state denomination and, and some players there. And so super excited about that. Shout out. If you're in Richmond, you're in the RVA area, and you're thinking about theological education, you're thinking about pastoral training if you're a pastor there and you've got a young young person coming up that you want to get trained yeah uh reach out to us yeah Let, you know send us an email get online you can actually email me at jesse at bonhofferhouse.com or michael at his new email address That's right my new digs michael at bonhofferhouse.com yeah and we'll let you know about that so richmond we're coming we're expanding that'll be our third cohort we got a roanoke valley cohort and a new river valley cohort and soon to be an rva cohort well Enough about that. Mm-hmm. We've got Aaron Whirl here in the Bonhoeffer House Global Worldwide Headquarters, which she described as, what did she describe it as? Little well, place. Little, yeah, little, nice, nice little study. A quaint little study. Yeah. Cute little study. She said, I'm not going to call it cute. Uh, but by not calling it cute, <laughs> she called it cute. It's a cute little study. Aaron, welcome to the Hammer and Quill. How are you and how are things at the Whirl Homestead? Thanks. Thanks to you guys so much for having me. It is cute. I didn't want to use cute because I didn't want you to feel like it wasn't, you it's know, adult, adult and masculine. <laughs> it's a great, look what we, look what we made. It's a, it's a great space. Uh, we're doing well. You know, the pandemic is has been hard on parents, and we have four little kids mm. and um, ages eight, six, two, and two. Eight, six, two, and two. Yeah. Wow. Yep. We're busy. And so, you know, by and large, just really thankful to be safe and home. And yeah, we're hanging in there. (laughs) Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you here with us. Uh Thank you. We have been been wanting to do this one for quite a while. We've had to reschedule once, I think. At least once. Maybe twice. There's been times you were probably on the schedule and didn't even know it. Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, "Wait, you were supposed to tell her." No, you were supposed to tell her. Yeah, yeah. That was before Michael was on staff. Mm. Yeah, you weren't paying him yeah. enough I was before. The, I was, I was future paying, paid. Yeah. yeah, that was when he was future paid, and so I was like, "Well, what am I going to do? <laughs> I, I can't fire him." him. <laughs> <laughs> we're so glad to have you with us here. I know you do listen, but just uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, we really are trying to explore the good, true, and the beautiful in the lives and vocations of our friends. Uh, we, we're trying to look at, uh, really what we want to do is look at your life today, Aaron, through a Philippians 4, 8 lens. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, 
whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We are we we started this podcast at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. In, in part because we were looking around going, there's so much um, malformative uh, when it comes to what's coming at us. And uh, so much that wants, so, but we wanted to be formative. We wanted to yeah. uh, lift up what's good, true, and beautiful and uh, think about these things. And so, so that's what we're doing. We want to stop and look, take time to explore. Uh, we want to, and this is what we want to do with you today, because frankly, like you came in here and I was watering some plants out there. I heard you guys joking about how I was trying to prove that I know how to water things. I, I know how to grow green things. Yeah. I struggle with growing green things. It's not yeah. for everyone. It's not for everyone, but I want it to be for me. God, God has entrusted the stewardship of his good creation, the earth, and I want to do better at it. And so, yeah. so partly we want to pick your brain because I follow you on what, when I was on social medias. Mm. And you grow things, people, animals, <laughs> food, plants. I mean, it's food eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so somewhat we want to kind of just learn from you, pick up habits, practices, mm-hmm. tips and tricks. How, how can I, I have one plant in here that I took out to water and it lost two of its six leaves on the walk <laughs> from my study out to the <laughs> patio where I was going to water it. And that's depressing. Yeah. And so we want to learn. I want to learn how to how to not do that anymore <laughs> we want to know how how your your work and your friends and your practices have formed you curious about tips and tricks about unique habits and then hopefully it's fun as we as we go along so Mm-mm-mm. we wanted to have Erin on because Erin is a creator she's a cultivator she's a uh she's a social media influencer it's not in my it's not in my <laughs> That's script not true now, now listen it, it may be a micro influencer a niche influ- but uh, i mean it's happening yeah uh, her and her husband Brian Homestead. I, I'm reading here that you have pigs. That you have uh, a literal legion of chickens. <laughs> a couple goats, a dairy cow named Lucy. You got a vegetable garden and fruit trees. You knit a all lot. True. Yeah. Yeah. You true. sew. Yep. You cook. You bake. Uh, oh, this is that's right. Erin is the godmother. She's the um, she's like the head. Yeah. Of the mafia. Yeah. Of the, the sourdough, sourdough mafia. mafia. Yeah. Yes. That's that right. Is that, me. We we killed one of the grandchildren of your of your <laughs> starters, I think. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, but it was a sourdough starter. Yeah. A bread starter. And yeah. it's 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 in a better place now. You need do you need another? I have plenty. Yeah, I need another. Happy to share. Ooh. You can all get right. back in La Familia. <laughs> back in the family. That's right. You do it all locally right here in the New River Valley, Blacksburg, Virginia, where Aaron and Brian serve on crew staff at Virginia Tech. Shout out Hokies and to crew, uh, where they're cultivating love for Jesus among the student body there. Aaron, now, you know, if you're listening in and you're, you know anything about Michael, his last name is Whirl. And so you might have thought, well, what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, Aaron is Michael's sister-in-law. That's right. Mm-hmm. Brian... Is Michael's big bro. He's my bro. Big bro, right? Yeah. Big bro. Yep. I didn't, I'm getting that right. So Yeah, you're right. So I, I stole so much of your back of the baseball card thunder, but I still would like you to introduce yourself in the way that we make all of our guests uh, introduce themselves. What would be on the back of your baseball card? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question because I've listened to several of your podcasts before. And so I actually Googled this morning what a baseball card looks like. Wow. Wow. That's commitment. What is a baseball card? <laughs> Do you know? I, like... use, I use Bing Oh. instead of Google <laughs> <laughs> because I, that's my that's my vaccine joke. I've, I've, I've gotten the vaccine. And so it's only Microsoft for me now. <laughs> is that too much? All right, so oh. you binged you binged it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> okay, I had taken so, I had taken a drink at the wrong moment just then. So baseball card. I now searched you know. what the back of a baseball card looks like, and it's like this intricate chart with lots of numbers. Like presumably there are RBIs and yeah, things like that's that. Right. So a lot I was of RBIs like, on there. Would mine be like number of carrots, number of eggs collected, number oh. of sweaters knit this year? Mm. Yeah, we would take all of I that. I don't know. I don't have accepted. I don't have actual numbers for those things. So, but if that's that would be on my chart, probably something about vegetables, something mm-hmm. about livestock. I don't know craft projects, 
certainly number of sourdough breads baked. Mm. Um, but, you know, just kind of in my succinct bio, I would say something like wife, mother, serial hobbyist, uh, homesteader. Michael's shaking his head like, yes, mm-hmm. these are all true of you, Aaron. Yeah. Um, I like cereal too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> with an S. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. bad. Uh, yeah, I'm a grower of things. I really love the act of creating, of making and tending things. And then the natural extrapolation of that for me is sharing those things. So I would say the idea of hospitality is integral to me in my personhood, that the things that I make, I really believe God has made me to make them for the benefit of others. So whether that's growing food or making bread or um, even we're a foster family, like all of those things for me take root in the idea of growing beautiful things and then using them for my community, Um, whether that's my family, my neighbors, my community at large. So... I love that growing beautiful things and then sharing them with neighbors. Mm-hmm. That's like a, that's such a cool mission. It really is. I'm like just trying to keep one plant alive. Yeah, and I'm not sharing it with any neighbors, but that is a beautiful vision. You're not really vocationally a no. grower. Grower of things. Yeah, no. So it's okay. It's okay. I'm a consumer. Yeah, I'm a vocational. <laughs> you would. You would. Yeah, you would buy. One of the pigs. I would not buy a pig. No, like... Oh, yeah. I'd buy a pre, the, uh, the pre-pork. Pork. Yeah. Yeah. I'd buy a pre-pork. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely would buy you bacon. Would, yeah, you yeah. would be one of the, the shared with people. Yeah, I mean, I am already thinking about getting hands on the sourdough starter. That's right. Yeah, so that we can kill another one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, keep it alive. Keep it so we. That's, and that's bake. what I meant. Keep it alive yeah. and bake. What a beautiful vision. And you seem to be doing great at it. And so uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how you ended up in Blacksburg, how you ended up on staff with crew, uh, and what that's been like for you. Sure. So we landed in Blacksburg about 10 years ago. Brian, my husband, was a student at Virginia Tech um, during his college years, and we were both involved in crew as students. So were you not at Tech? No, I went to Michigan State. Go Spartans. Go Spartans. And we got a huge listenership up there in uh, <laughs> Lansing. We met on a summer missions project with crew the summer between our junior and senior year. So my senior year, I came down to Blacksburg quite a bit, you know, cute little long distance dating situation. Mm. And we both individually felt called to ministry. And then over time, as our relationship deepened, God called us to do that together. And so our first placement was here at Virginia Tech. And we have mostly been here since with a little bit of overseas travel in between. And the homesteading for us really kind of was a natural progression of my joy in making things. When we first got married when we first started having children it started out as like I think I want to make baby food from scratch or I want to knit a sweater for the baby and I kind of just the way that I uh, consume passions is I I become hooked and then want to learn all the things Mm. and how to do all of them to the most like organic not just like organic materials but from from the beginning as possible so first it was I want to bake bread but then it was oh can I do it without commercial yeast you know kind of everything that I do I want to knit a sweater could I buy this from a farm where I know the sheep (laughs) you know that kind of thing so the kind of descent or ascent maybe into homesteading just kind of I had a bunch of these different passions that were all kind of meeting in the home in this like homemade kind of way and so a few years ago we were thinking about where we wanted to live in town it kind of became apparent that Blacksburg wasn't going to be just a short stop for Mm. us in our life together and so we started looking for a little piece of land so that I could garden and then we found it and then the garden became a bigger garden, and then a bigger garden, and then some chickens, and um, yeah, it's chickens are like chickens, from there. Chickens they are, are the gateway, gateway into yeah. homesteading. Absolutely, yeah, they're yeah. the gateway into <laughs> pigs and goats. Yeah. I don't have any goats actually. My neighbor has goats. Oh, but okay. okay. Yeah. Correction. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're but they're in y'all's 
business. They used to use our barn, but okay. they do now have their own because I had to take mine for the cow, which I do now have a cow. Mm. Yes. Chickens are the gateway to the cow. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you just completed a home renovation in the last couple of years? We did. Part of expansion. Yeah. If you've ever tried to buy real estate in the Blacksburg area, you know how difficult it can be. Well, I'm I have not. Um. But I but I understand it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it can be really difficult to find a suitable, affordable family home. And so for us to be able to get land, we had to buy one with a house that we knew was too small for us. So we lived kind of that way in our tiny home for a couple of years. And then as the kids grew, we started foster care. We adopted our foster son. Our family grew and they physically grew in size. It was like we were busting at the seams. Mm. And um, yeah, we just finished adding almost, it pretty much doubled the house. So mm. we've really been enjoying that. But that happened right at the start of COVID. So I have yet to entertain anyone in my mm. new house, which is really a bummer. Mm. So that runs in the family, buying a tiny house in Blacksburg <laughs> and then yes. doubling the size. Yes. Michael's in the middle of his project right now yeah. to do the very same thing. Yeah, but we will we will have never lived, lived in, in it. That's right. You've never lived <laughs> in it. You didn't have multiple kids in it no. crammed in there. No. That's right. That's right. So, um, Aaron, you mentioned that you spent some time overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in East Asia? Correct. Am I allowed to say that? I suppose, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, how long was that? We were there for a year. A year. Does that impact your time overseas as a guest? Has that impacted Mm. the way that you think about hospitality, the way you think about growing at all? That's a good question. I would say more than necessarily hospitality, it to me really solidified the question of roots. And, and, it plays into my childhood. I moved around a lot. I've never really lived in one place for long. That's um, being in East Asia was actually the third time that I've lived overseas um, long term. Mm. And so we had two kids at the time who were three and one. And it was a formative time in my motherhood where I was really trying to figure out who I was and how I wanted to raise them and being outside of any kind of home environment with kids, which was very different than when I had done that as a single person um, or even I in high school. There, um, yeah, it really raised the question for me of what is like, what does it look like for me to have a home? Mm. And yeah, I would say that was the question it raised more. And uh, East Asia has always been a deep passion of my husband's and spending time there was a thing we knew we were called to do together. But I think it really made clear for us after spending that time overseas, like, wow, I think we're meant to create roots, create a home hmm. um, back in the U.S. So, And so did that play into your, you know, you, you mentioned having a, a love or a desire for organic from kind of beginning to end. Do you think? being overseas played into wanting to do things locally as you built your home? Maybe. I haven't really thought about that too much. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, there's no right or wrong way to live. Plenty of people look at my life and the way we grow our food or as much as we do and think, I would never want to do that. That's so much work. Why do you do that? And one thing that was really difficult for me about not even necessarily being overseas, but being in a really big city environment was it just wasn't for me. Mm. Um, And so I think it solidified for me. I want to be in an open space. I want to be able to do things from scratch. I don't want all my vegetables to come wrapped in plastic Mm. and that kind of stuff. I was just I was just reflecting with uh, a couple of friends about how growing up in Virginia Beach, whenever we like a storm or hurricane or something would come through and we'd we'd lose power, it was like, oh, we lost power, and I mean it was it was a big deal in the sense of like this is inconvenient, this is it, our house is going to be cold. It, there's you know there's issues, but it's not even close to the same as as southwest virginia losing power is like i need to find a way to make sure my freezers are are cold or i'll lose like a year's worth of meat Mm -hmm. yep and that was that was such a big culture shift where now i'm like we thought we lost power like we gotta we gotta make sure we keep our our 
our lose tall freezer and our tech. chest freezer yeah. on or we're going to lose like a significant amount of, of money and resources. Um, it just is funny to, to think about the, the different culture. Yeah, we've got an ice storm coming up. Yep. And uh, we were just thinking about how we're, we're, we're making plans for if we lose power for multiple days, what do we do with everything in the fridge? Which yeah. for us will be... Put it outside. The garage becomes our fridge. Yeah. yeah. And um, then we just got to figure out, we have this uh, cat door. Now, here's the thing. We, we've got an outdoor cat. <laughs> its name is Cat Cat. <laughs> and it's great. It eats our mice. And so we feed it. That's all we do. We feed it in the garage. And we put this cat door on the door. I, I, I put a lot of time into this and work into this. I took the door off. Uh-huh. I, cut it, I cut it. I put this magnetic latch on there, and the cat would not go through it. The mag, the sound of the magnet was like, like <laughs> if I like tried to push the cat through, it would like put its paws out here and resist, and so I just took the whole thing off, which is so now it works. The cat comes through, uh-huh. but so do the raccoons. <gasps> not often, not often, but they've been known to get in there, and I have to get out there and chase them around with my well, I shoot them. <laughs> And I don't, so I'm a little nervous about putting all the food in the garage mm, because mm. I have to think about. Because you'll attract them. The raccoons. Yeah. They would be like, he's got the food out here. <laughs> <laughs> Get him. So we'll probably, we'll figure something out. But mm. Hey, so Aaron, you mentioned that when you, you, you mentioned you're a serial hobbyist. You mentioned that uh, when you uh, pick a hobby up or something becomes interesting to you, you want to know all, all about it. That, that kind of intellectual curiosity, the... Um, what, where, where did that come from? How how was that formed in you? Uh, it was from my dad. No question. My dad is also a serial hobbyist, but he has the, uh, life experience, time and income to have pursued all of those things (laughs) even more deeply than I have. Uh, so a lot of my curiosity and even a lot of the, the hobbies that I have, I learned from my dad gardening. My dad actually taught me to knit, um, he does stained glass, he makes soap, he brews beer, he, you know, all the things. Does he have like a, does he have a job? Yeah, actually, he is a city manager. He's so he's in local manager? government management. And like all Ben Wyatt. Like Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. <laughs> he's a city manager yes. and still had time to like become I think, good at those Yeah, things. I think that his hobbies are really what he does to stay sane. Hmm. Um, my dad's career really is a thing that, he does because he's great at it and because it's provided opportunity for him in life, but it doesn't give him much joy. And so he finds it Hmm. in these other things. Yeah. And he's very good at them. He is. Yeah, he is. uh, As someone who's tasted what he creates. You're talking about the beer? You're talking about the beer? No, actually, that's that's a more recent. Developed. No, he's been doing that for a You're while, but he just weren't old enough to drink it when you knew my dad. But my dad we made our wedding cake. My dad I did eat those. helped me build the chicken coop on our farm. Um, he just bought one of the pigs that we processed last month and specifically contacted the butcher with me to have like certain cuts yeah um as you to, do. to be able to cure them and yeah. you know like he'll make his own prosciutto and things like that i cured my own bacon this year that's impressive so <laughs> i'm patting <laughs> myself on the back we're six <laughs> feet apart so nobody could pat my back but you can get myself yeah yeah excellent excellent so talk a little bit more about homesteading what is homesteading talk a little bit more about your journey into it homesteading i think it's a hard thing to nail down because when you picture it, it's like usually people on a lot of land, and that certainly can be true. How usually, much land do you own? We have 4.2 acres. 4.2. But you can homestead on a backyard. You know, it's really about how you use the land to meet your needs. And arguably, this is a little more of a flexible definition, but even someone in an urban context could choose to live in a way that uses local resources to meet their needs. It tries to do things from scratch. I think it's more of a mindset. Um, You know, how can I have as much of a hand in kind of meeting my own needs or creating things rather than just buying them depending on consumer culture to meet the needs that my family might have? So usually there's an element of growing food, vegetables, or meat. Lots of times there's chickens. Lots of times there's craft involved, um, but I don't think there are any 
any of those things have to be true for somebody to be a homesteader. Um, but yeah, those so are kind of common yeah, occurrences. And that actually, for me, makes me think about um, the idea of your dad talking to the butcher. Um, any of these things, uh, whether they're animals or produce, uh, provides connections for yes, you, right? Absolutely. With actual, with people who, who you then have a kind of um, dependent relationship. I, I need the butcher and he needs me. He needs mm-hmm. a per- person who's buying them. So talk a little bit about that. How has, how has homesteading connected you into uh, maybe the culture in your place? Sure. I think one thing that's critical to a homesteading lifestyle you were mentioning is just you have to know people. You have to depend on people, whether that's your neighbors to help you when your cow escapes, you know, or the guy that's going to butcher your pigs or, you know, I I grow some things to sell to help offset the costs on our homestead. And so then it's the people that I'm delivering eggs to or um, teaching sourdough classes to. It, it's all about relationship. And, you know, I don't say this at all to be judgmental of people who don't care about where their food or their things come from because I realize it, you know, it's a personal thing, but you guys talk a lot about things being malformative and it is often true that the systems that provide for the needs, our needs on a mass scale often have dark sides, whether that's mass production of meat, you know, that results in inhumane conditions for animals or, even like spinach can have E. coli outbreaks because of how things are processed. The fact that we have to put things on trucks to go across the country so that we can eat for, uh, vegetables that are out of season, things like that. When we live our life kind of not cognizant of where things come from, we dismiss the people in the systems that provide those things for us. And that often leads to exploitation specifically of marginalized peoples who perform labor on farms or um, who make fabric for our clothes. At the heart of it really is that people are abused when we don't pay heed to where our stuff comes from, when we're just blind consumers. And I say that recognizing that there's a huge amount of privilege in that because not everybody has the choice um, to decide if they can buy this farm-grown wool sweater, you know, or the organic fruit from the farmer's market. But um, for me, I, I just really care deeply about people and how they're treated and want to do what I can to not contribute, I guess, to those kinds of systems. And then on the positive side of that, when I am able to produce beautiful or delicious things, then I have the joy of kind of helping to spread those to people that might not have access otherwise. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. And so that is, so, you know, you, you are a all in kind of person. That's true. Right. So, but maybe, maybe you're listening right now and you're like, well, I'm not either. I'm not an all in kind of person or I don't have, I don't have the particular set of skills it takes to, (laughs) you know, knit my own sweat sweater or so, so do I start? Yeah. Where do they start? Where do, where do I start? You know, I, I, I know that, um, I'm never going to be able to grow my Coke Zero in the backyard. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so maybe what are some some good starting points that maybe could be shared across the board? Whether you're in, um, you know, North Roanoke, or you're in Southwest Virginia, or you're in Richmond, uh, you know, give us a couple couple kind of mediating steps that someone could take to be more faithful, to be more, uh, really, because what you're talking about is, it is hospitality, it's love of neighbor, it's justice, and wanting to represent the justice of God more in the, in the treatment of people. Stewardship. Um, it's stewardship of, of God's good creation, and stewardship of our finances, our time, our the stuff He's given us to care for, the people that are, we're in relationship with. And so, so let's assume all of our listeners, including us, I, I want to get better, I want to be a better steward. I want to be more just in the in my vegetable eating. I want to eat more vegetables. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's yeah. I want I want to be a better steward of my body. Even you want give to us give produce, us some steps. Produce, not just consume. Yeah, or if I'm just going to consume, help me consume better. Sure. Sure. I think it really comes down to what do you care about? You know, that food is a really easy on on ramp for that. There's farmers markets everywhere. Um, if you have a pot on your front porch, you can grow something. 
and COVID really introduced a lot of that. I mean, I don't know how much you follow homesteading news, but last year you couldn't even buy seeds. You could not buy um, chicks for laying hens because they were sold out on a national scale because as people lost access Hmm. to food because of the inability to go to the grocery store or the way that like meat processing plants were shut down, people realized like, ah, (laughs) I need to be able to meet this need. So there are little steps you can take by, yeah, growing your own tomato plant, going to the farmer's market. Um, Those are easy places to start. I think really the biggest thing that most of us can do is just consume less. You want to, you know, if you're concerned about the ethical production of fabric, for example, you don't have to search out the handmade, naturally dyed clothing. You can just keep what you have and not mm. buy more. Um, you what can, if you're growing out of what you have? <laughs> you can buy used <laughs> things. There we go. Um, you can mend the things that you have that mm. work sort of, but not perfectly. Um, I would say that's a great place to start is Excellent. not adding to your consumption. Mm. But then as much as you are able to seek things that are locally provided or that you can kind of trace some part of the story as to where they came from and to do your best. I mean, there's literally not a consumption choice that can be made today that's perfect. Yeah. And um, I think that what's critical is to not let perfection be the enemy of good Mm. and to not ascribe morality even to the choices that we're unable to make, but to do our best with what we have when we can. Excellent. Don't let perfection be the enemy of good. That, that reminds me of anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Life motto. <laughs> <laughs> Life motto. I mean, really in this case, you have to live that way. Yeah. You know, because it is a mediated relationship that we have with all the things that we consume. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm going to, I want to become more like, Aaron. So you mentioned that a lot of these things started with your dad mm-hmm. and, and he kind of uh, almost cultivated into you a love for a lot of these different hobbies. How I'm curious, how did the kind of passion about love for neighbor, justice, uh, stewardship, like where, where did those things come hmm. from? Um, well, I'm an Enneagram one. Okay. Are you an Enneagram person, Jesse? Tell me what that this means. Nothing to me. Okay. This is which. This is. Is there Jesse a pen, makes is there jokes a, about the Enneagram? Okay. That's yeah, as far the, as his. I don't do the pentagram. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a tail involved? A wing. A one is what? A, a one is a person who fundamentally justice is of critical importance ah. to me. I see the world really black and, black white. and white. There's a right and wrong. There's true and false, and. Uh, some of that can be really great. It means that I am I can be single-minded about things that I think are really important, yeah. um, but also it can make me a stick in the mud, you know? But I think, so to answer your question, Michael, a huge part of it is just my personality. If I believe something to be right, then I have a really hard time not living my life by those values. And so... As I began to learn more about, uh, you know, labor uh, standards in textile industry or migrant workers' conditions, you know, in creating food, those kinds of things, uh, I started to care about them. And just because of who I am, I couldn't keep buying the things I had been buying. Mm. And so that was a big part of it. The other part of it is that I just started doing hobbies and I loved them. So I started growing things and I loved growing them and I loved cooking with them. And so I wanted to grow more. I wanted to do more. I also really love food, like really love food, really Mm -hmm. love cooking. And so to be able to grow my own ingredients and choose what I was eating and provide this amazing homegrown food food for myself all year long was just like it's the combination of all of those things you know the perfect storm of this matters to me I'm good at it I'm having fun doing it and I think it makes a difference in the world and so then it kind of just kept snowballing snowballing. yeah (laughs) Yeah. yes Mm. that's beautiful Mm -hmm. and what what I like about what you're talking about too is you, you because of the intellectual curiosity uh you chase things down and like for me it's easy to just go I'm not going to think about that. And, and, 
and what that was challenging about what you're talking about is now sometimes justice and love of neighbor requires thinking about that mm-hmm. you know totally go, going down and figuring out where is this coming from how how are people being affected uh just because i can't see it because really i live my life like when i close my eyes at night to go to sleep guess what else stops the whole entire world <laughs> and if i can't see you or talk to you like you probably don't exist mm. and so and so that's not a healthy way to live our life mm. so this is really challenging Whew, boy talk about creativity you're very creative as part of how god's made you but talk about your the role of creativity in your vocation uh homesteading family life how important is making to you Making is of integral impor- importance to me. It's kind of my lifeblood. I, especially as a mom of young kids, life is so monotonous and there's very little that I can do that has a start or a finish that has a created product, you know. And so making for me, as it relates to craft, is it, it's so life-giving to be able to start a project, to finish it, and then to have something beautiful that is going to meet a need in some way. Um, but then even things like making dinner <laughs> do that to some degree because I enjoy the process. Some people might find making dinner to be life-sucking, and some days I do too. But I, I find a lot of joy in having a finished product. I think the act of creation too, though, I don't know. It, there's just it's reflective of our creator and mm. the fact that we were made to make things and to make the world more beautiful. And so I don't know kind of how that all plays out. But I know that when I am making things consistently, when I'm in, the, in a rhythm of creativity and exploration, I am more of myself and I have more joy to do the things that are less life giving. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That really taps on a kind of uh, in, internal call, uh, you know, it's where, where we are really trying to explore vocation and um, what it means to be called to something mm-hmm. and uh, the coming alive, the, the this is something that I, you're good at it. There's, there's a satisfaction involved in doing that. Um, that does seem to be connected in a, in a, in a you know, of course, we've, we've talked about this in the past. Vocation or calling requires uh, some affirmation. It requires some evidence of gifting. But, but that that internal drive is what I'm hearing here. That that, that I'm, well, this is some, I'm made to do this. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, especially in the age of social media, where you can put pretty things out there, there's kind of this expectation of like, oh, I should be able to, or I should find joy in. And I get a lot of questions like, how do you find time for, or how do you make this work? And really the heart of it for me is if I don't, I shrivel up and die. Mm. But I have great friends who like to make jokes with me like, Erin, do you know where else you can get eggs? At the grocery store. You know, like, <laughs> why? You know where else you can find a quilt? At the, at the store, you know, Target. <laughs> and so it's not, it's not a compelling internal drive for everyone to be a maker in that sense. Uh, but I think that our culture kind of glamour, glam, has glamorized it. Yeah, yeah, that works. That's better and, than some words I've used today. <laughs> and I, yeah, so I don't wish to contribute to the sense of like everybody needs to make. But I think that if you are a person who needs to make, you know it. Mm, and you have to you make think, to live. Do you think ev- everybody in some sense is made to, to make or made to create? Probably to some sense. I I mean, I certainly believe that every person has something unique to contribute to their community. Um, And some of that's going to be more tactile than others. But This is something I'm I'm teaching a class right now on theology and culture. Hmm. And culture is a really interesting word. It really didn't have any use until, you know, interestingly, culture was never used uh, until the modern times, right? It wasn't until 19th century, really, because culture wasn't a thing before that. Before, at least in, in in the understanding of a word, culture is a word that's that's introduced to uh, make sense of how we relate to the world when uh, when religion when the world has been emptied of a religious authority. Hmm. So so in the past, like. 
you know, John Calvin in Geneva wasn't in the Genevan project there. They weren't concerned with the culture. They were concerned with religion, with Christ, with, you know, but anyway, so the word culture is kind of a tricky word, but it, it, it's connected to cult, which is worship, worship, you know, a, a cultic uh, connection there. And then it's also connected to an English word, uh, culture, which is the, uh, the edge of the, the of, of a, of a cult cultivator, the mm-hmm. edge of a plow. Uh, and so, so the idea with, with what I'm teaching is culture is, is inherently about making. Mm. Uh, that, that, and this goes back to, Gen- this is theological, it goes back to Genesis 1 and 2, when God gives a cultural mandate to go and, and cultivate, to go and, uh, go and make something of the world, go yeah. and to make beautiful things and spread them out all over and reflect glory back to God. And so, so I think what you're doing, you, you get an opportunity as a homesteader, you're, you're, you are walking out God's call to make something, to make something beautiful, to create uh, goods uh, that, that are for the common good. And then also you're, you know, you're raising and creating a family and it's beautiful. Well, coming back to the internal drive thing, one of the cool things is like, not only do you have this internal drive and then, uh, you know, the affirmation of some people close to you to say, hey, you're good at these things. But then you also have uh, the 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 side of this is doing justice in the world. This is stewarding creation well. This is uh, helping to benefit and advantage my community. You, you have like kind of all of these yeah. um I guess theological realities that are also backing up like this is a this is a good internal drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the intersection of all of those things. I feel like I spent a lot of my adult life kind of getting there. And uh last year there was this like prompt going around on social media to in kind of like the crunchy moms circle of to think of five so describe <laughs> explain crunchy for crunchy, our listeners like, <laughs> like you granola. know yeah like hippie kind of likes things from scratch and your yeah. your world well you're yeah, not yeah, I mean, yeah yeah the world yeah. i live in yeah, yeah. um I'm, i didn't mean that in a bad way no yeah. yes yeah. i am a crunchy person that's yeah. fine <laughs> i take no offense there was this prompt to think of five words that you wanted to describe the culture of your family like your five values that you would decide together with your spouse like these this is what we're raising our children for this is what we want to like this would be the banner over the door of our house and i mean as you well know there could be hundreds of great words that any family could choose. So it's not a right or wrong thing, but where we landed, where I landed and presented to Brian, he said, yeah, those sound great. Where we landed (laughs) was kindness, generosity, hospitality, stewardship, and faith. And those were things to me that, you know, kind of, they matter the most to me, but I see how God has called our family to live those out. Um, in a way that kind of just, yeah, shows our neighbor, sh- whether that's physical neighbor or, you know, biblical neighbor, our love for them by the way that we share our home, we share the fruits of our home, we steward what we've been given, whether that's like the number of beds under our roof or the bread I baked that week or, you know, X, Y, or Z. But all that to say, yeah, I think that that that's kind of crystallized for me that this is the circle, you know, this is the Venn diagram where all of those things fit together and homesteading Mm. has been kind of just the, the area where we've been able to live that out. Mm. I love that. And I love, I love if you're listening, as you're listening, I love the way that you are helping me understand homesteading, not just as a kind of, um, um, separationist, uh, movement, you know, as if to, uh, just moving away from culture. Yeah, I think often it can. That's the pe- way people just think about it. You yeah. know, it's like I'm an off-grid living in a cabin, meeting my own needs, and I don't need anybody. And certainly lots of homesteaders live that way, but I don't think as a believer there's room for that. Mm. Um, I don't think there's room to hoard or to consider even the food on my own table to be more important to go into my belly than to the belly of my neighbor. Hmm. And so, yeah, 
yeah, just like all things, you know, there's a way to live it out in a godly way <laughs> and a way to live it out for our own selfishness. Mm. Yeah. And seeing, seeing what your project is a project of justice. It's a project of love of neighbor. It's actually cultivating in your, in your kids, I would guess, um, habits of the heart that are going to help them even if they're not, even if they don't own mm-hmm. chickens Yeah, when they grow up. Uh, I, I just read recently an article in Comment Magazine, which which I'll link to in the show notes, um, on reviving intellectual hospitality mm. and how right now in our, our our cultural moment, we do not make room for our neighbor and their uh, their different ideas yeah. intellectually. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, there's just not room for that right now in, in our cultural moment. We are fighting all the time. And that what, what the author's... Uh, pushing for is a recovering of giving some space. You know, what's hospitality? We make a home, we make room, we make, you know, come to the table, there's space for you here. And that we need to make intellectual space for our opponents, for people that think differently than us. And, but that's hard to do if you haven't, if you don't know what hospitality is, or if you think of hospitality as something that's, uh, that's just about being polite Mm because intellectual hospitality and real and, and physical hospitality isn't, is not just about being polite, right? It's not just about getting out your nice fine china. Fine china, although you can do it that way, but it's about making room, making space, making someone feel at home with you. And which so you're going <laughs> to a lot of times is messy. Mm-hmm. Is messy. It's yeah. not not the opposite of the fine china. A yeah, lot of times, that's the truth. Yeah, that's right. Hey, so talk about you. You mentioned Brian. You mentioned f- family. Um, I'd love to know how. How you and Brian, husband and wife, navigate? Like, are you like, hey, I think it's time to buy another pig? <laughs> how, how do these conversations happen? How how is it? You know, this, obviously <laughs> there has to be some element of togetherness mm-hmm. in a in a project like this. this sure. Is, so talk about that a little. <laughs> this bit. This is the kindness of the Lord to me and Brian that He just doesn't have a lot of strong opinions about things, and I don't <laughs> say that in a. a Michael's shaking his head because it's he just He's is nine, very right? content. He is a nine. Okay, these code <laughs> these code things. He's very content. He's chill. He's chill. He's, He's chill. chill. That's He's what not. That means to yeah, you. he seeks <laughs> peace, and he's just not easily rattled. He also he. I, these are his words, not mine. Likes to say he has no skills or interests, which are not, tr- that's not true. Hi, I'm Brian, and I have no skills or interests. It's not, not true. I'm just gonna sit here and smile. But he's well, not- I'm with you, fellas. I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> he's not a hobbyist and stuff in the way that I am, and so we don't have these competing interests. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like, oh, you want to work in the garden for these number of hours, but I want to be doing this thing instead. Mm. So. There is room for us for basically for me to say, hey, I have this vision. What do you think about joining me? And nine times out of 10, he's way on board. Um, Brian and Michael grew up in a city environment. I don't, did you guys ever have any kind of gardening thing? Um, Certainly didn't own any livestock. No. (laughs) We had house dogs. House dogs. Yeah. Indoor, indoor. Last I checked, house dogs (laughs) were not livestock. (laughs) They're, Correct. They're That's right. Not, yeah. And I don't think we ever gardened. No, I don't think you did either. So this is new for him. Yeah. And I've just been fortunate that as he's done it with me, he's liked it. There are, you know, there are some chores that he, neither of us particularly enjoy. Like what? Like scoop and poop, you know, that kind poop, of stuff. Scoop. Poop, yep. scooping, cleaning the chicken coop, that kind of stuff. Um, Feeding the piggy boys. But, but well, <laughs> so that's the thing is um, we raised our first batch of pigs in covid and um for a while it was kind of like my territory and then as the pigs got really big i couldn't carry their feed it was too heavy and we don't own any kind of tractor or anything like that yet i need to win the mega millions first Mm. um and (laughs) so brian would like i would have to ask him can you carry the feed up to the pigs for me because our property is very steep and so they would be at this like 200 foot incline above the house. And so that kind of sort of became his chore and he actually really started to love it. Like he loved visiting the pigs, loved thumping them on the side, you know, seeing them every day. And so there are things that he's kind of taken on and enjoyed and uh, he likes being fed. (laughs) And so I think a lot of this too is he's way behind what we're doing because 
he gets to eat the mm. fruit of it. And mm. but you know the cow, for example, it is really that is a very compelling. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, we think with our bellies, yeah, and, and that that's human. Yeah, humans think with their bellies. Yeah, <laughs> and we eat well. We do because it's fresh and it's delicious yeah. and homegrown mm. and. Um, and we, there's an abundance, you know, like I remember when we first started growing berries, something that I realized was that one of the most decadent things I can think of is smashing an entire fistful of raspberries in your mouth at the same time. Mm. Because if you get raspberries from the grocery store, you know, that little tiny plastic shell has like 15 berries in it. And you're like, here kids, you can have three and Mm. you can have three. But to be able to take that whole scoop and slosh it in your mouth and eat them all at once is heavenly. And so we can do things like that, you know, like straight off the bush. Yeah. When, when you're growing in your mouth, kids. <laughs> and it's there in abundance, you know, we have bees. And so we can take this amazing honey and we you make maple syrup. Well. We keep bees. I tap ma- there are the maple trees on our neighbor's property and make maple syrup. Do they know you're tapping them? Yes. I, <laughs> I don't have, we don't have any hey, maples Aaron's on our back again. What's she, what's what's she, she doing, doing out there? So yes. wait, did you, uh, does that already happen? Have you already tapped them? I, so I didn't do them this year. This when, is the first. When do you do them? Uh, you have to do it when it is below freezing at night and above freezing in the day, but not quite 40 degrees. There's like a very fine weather so we pattern. Missed we missed it. And yes. And because, you know, our weather, our winters here are like so sporadic. Yeah. Last year it didn't snow at all. This year is crazy. And so I think if I were to have done it, I would have had to do it like the second week of January this year. But I got a cow this year. And so right do? now the cow, cow is my focus. Yeah. Um, but the question about how does Brian handle you, like, how are we on board with things? The cow was like a thing, for example, where it was kind of like a, please trust me. I would really like to get this thing. And he's like, that's insane. A milk cow is insane. Aaron, we have, I have an opinion about this. We have four children in the middle of a global pandemic and you want to get a milk cow. And, uh, I just really wanted to, and I felt like I was supposed to, I don't know. And this kind of weird circumstance happened where a person I had met on Instagram locally who happens to breed my favorite variety of cow. I'm sure everybody has a favorite variety. (laughs) We all have our favorite cows. Um, she had black and white. She had a preg- <laughs> it is black and white. She looks like an Oreo. It's a Dutch belted dairy cattle. She- Which I'm sure you knew. You knew. They're endangered and they're beautiful. And there's a, a woman in Floyd who has a small herd and she had a pregnant heifer that was smaller in size that she needed to get rid of. And I met her on Instagram. And so it's kind of like, Brian, here's all, here's my case for why I should get this pregnant cow that we weren't planning on at all. But then all of a sudden we'll have a calf in a month, you know, and uh, those are the kinds of things where he's like, I'm going to hear you out and then I'm going to trust your gut. And, but the cow is yours. Like <laughs> the cow and her chores are your responsibility. So there how, are things like that. Too. How often do the boundaries of things like that end up getting blurred? Where it like starts as your thing and mm. then he gets roped in. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we should call him. I don't think terribly often because most of the decisions that we make really are like, we're going to do this together. Yeah. Like we've been planning, oh, we're going to build this greenhouse this spring is a thing we're going to do together. Or, oh, we're last year we made a pumpkin patch in our uh, property for the first time. That had started as a dream of wouldn't it be fun to grow like hundreds and hundreds of these crazy pumpkins that you spend like $25 on when you take your kids to the pumpkin patch. Just grow this huge plot and then in the fall we'll have a big potluck and invite everybody we know and they'll bring their kids and we'll all just hang out and they can all take home these free pumpkins and it'll be so fun and... So we did that and then COVID happened. So then we had 500 pounds of pumpkins to ourselves. <laughs> um, so, that's a true story. But so that's why we got uh, a couple pump- free pumpkins. Oh, so many. <laughs> the pigs have eaten most of them. Okay. And actually the cow is eat, loves the pumpkins too. But a lot of things are like that. that We have this vision together. Usually the vision starts as mine, but he buys in. I think the cow has really been the first and only thing that's like, this is solidly on your plate, Aaron. Yeah. How's your cow doing, Aaron? You know, it's a sore <laughs> question, Jesse, yeah. yeah. because uh, she's great. I mean, it's just a lot of work, which I knew it would be, and I don't regret it. But the 
work that she's requiring of me is like heart work and not body work. You know, I'm already doing a lot of chores. I'm used to farm chores. I'm used to, yeah, scooping the poop and putting down fresh straw and filling the feeders and the waters. But um, something that I did not know until after I had my heifer, which heifer means first time mom, it's her first calf, uh, was that apparently it's common knowledge that you should never get a heifer as your first dairy cow because they're stubborn and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to be milked and you don't have the training or the understanding how to work with this 1,200 pound animal to teach her to be good at those things mm. you know what I mean it's like a professional dog trainer can can take on some like redeemed pit bull or something but maybe your average person shouldn't do that as your first <laughs> project and so she's just giving me a hard time mm. uh, we're making it and I love her and I'm glad I have her and I think that it will get better as the years go but she's giving me a run for my money that yeah I'm getting like a half gallon of milk each morning from this cow who should be giving me like three gallons Wow! because she's just got an attitude. So it's huh. my will against hers right now. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to circle back around and, and figure out who wins that battle. Yeah. This, yeah, this is a... Uh... Maybe we'll give our listeners just updates. Mm-hmm. This is... How many gallons Aaron got. Subdue. Yeah. yeah. In, Subdue. In, the, in the best meaning. Of, uh, of the cultural mandate. Well, I have one more question for you before we move into our lightning round, and that is, uh, can you share some strategy, strategies you have for social media use? So you're, you're creative. You're also, uh, you're also on, you're creative online. You're, you've got multiple Instagram accounts. You've got your own like homesteading account, right? Yeah, I do. I have a homesteading How do you do that? What, t- share some strategies with us. For me, the homesteading account was really just, I was doing a lot of things and, I don't have a lot of local friends that are homesteaders that are really into the things that I'm into. So I created it as a place to connect with um, other folks that are doing similar things and just see how they're living their life, make friends in that sphere. Um, And then, you know, we kind of joked at the beginning when you called me an influencer. I'm not at all. I have a very small following for as far as like Instagram goes. But I realized that when you have people following along with your life, you are influencing for something. And kind of our whole discussion has been like my heart behind why we live the way we live. And so I like to share online in a way that's going to invite people, whether they're living in an apartment or whether they are on 60 acres, to be creative and then, yeah, share that with the people around them. So I am trying to influence, but not in the sense of like, hey, buy this thing with my affiliate link. Um, But hey, like, have you considered how your heart can be invested in these Mm. things and you can bring people along with you? So That's beautiful. Awesome. That's beautiful. All right. Hey, do you have any projects coming up? Anything that's maybe going to be published anywhere? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a loaded question, Jesse. Yes, I, so I, um, really exciting thing, uh, submitted a quilting project to my favorite homesteading magazine that was accepted recently. So that's, um, going to be published in June. It's t- called Taproot Magazine. And Taproot it's a, Magazine. Taproot Magazine. And that's a little, there's a little quilting project in there. I've been working, um, with a friend to like create logo and just trying to create a, launch a website and a blog and just have some space to, have these conversations at longer length than an Instagram caption. Mm. Um, But yeah, um, this year is going to be a big year for us with growing. Like we have big plans for expansion of what we're growing, how we're offering that to the community. I have like these very big but nebulous ideas about how to create like a new kind of CSA, but in a way that invites. CSA is a crop share agreement. Uh, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. There you go. I had no idea. Yeah, but it's like when you, you know, <laughs> you, you shot. like a, subs- <laughs> a veggie subscription from your local farmer type thing, you know. I'm pretty sure I've been a part of many CSAs and never knew what it stood for. So right, but usually I pay that, money and I get veggies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually, though, that's just kind of like a, it's another means of buying where I have the these ideas of like, how can that be a more reciprocal relationship? How can the people that I grow things for be involved in the farm in a way that like adds value to their family? So I don't know. I'm just tossing a lot of thoughts around in my brain and trying to figure out how to 
move forward. Great. When you get the website launched, we will link to it in the show notes because we'll have people listening to this uh, for forever. For all time. For all time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Posterity. That's right. All right. <laughs> Lightning round. What's the next animal you're going to buy? Uh, well, I bought, but they haven't come yet. We're getting meat chickens and turkeys for the first time this year. Meat chickens and turkeys. Yeah. Ooh. Favorite thing to bake or cook from your own garden? My own garden. Or livestock. <laughs> um, well, when you said bake or cook, the first thing that came to my mind was bagels, but I don't grow wheat. So. Oh, that counts. We'll, we'll take that. From so, the sourdough starter. Yeah. yeah. I'll say my favorite thing to, to make right now is I'm on a mission to make excellent okra pickles. I started growing okra for the first time this year, and I think I tried 10 different recipes, like canning different okra pickles throughout the summer, and we've been sampling them throughout the winter. So that's... Did you find one that's just the perfect one? I We are getting there. The one... I think we've opened maybe five recipes so okay. far, and the most recent one was quite good. I have some... It needs more garlic. Mm. More garlic. Other people that you... Uh, that you would recommend following? We'll, we'll make sure to link how to follow you. Uh, is there, um, you know, another person or a few people out there that you'd recommend people following? Hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're into just like live your life on the homestead type thing, um, my good friend Julie is home sweet homestead and she's amazing at just kind of living this local life sugar house workshop is uh she's become a real friend jessica who's been like my sourdough mentor and this is like further up the yeah she is also a natural dyer and quilter um i've become friends with a woman named tammy who's winging a prayer farm and she raises all of her own sheep breed specific for yarn and knitting um Excellent. Yeah, those are three of my favorites. And they've all become real good friends because of Instagram. So That's cool. That's cool. What's something under $100 that every homesteader should own? Hmm. I knew you were going to ask this question too. So, I mean, seed packets are like a couple bucks. So you could buy seeds. You could even buy chickens for a couple dollars for that matter. Yeah. But maybe the thing I would say for like across the board, any person that wants to homestead in air quotes in any kind of way is that especially because of COVID, there are myriad number of electronic course, like online courses you can take, whether that's sourdough, sewing, whatever, you can find some kind of masterclass on how to do those things. And so I would say invest money in learning a hobby. That's good. On the uh, AaronWorld.com website that you're building (laughs) out, will you have any courses available? Probably not online. I was teaching in-person sourdough courses before the pandemic began with kind of this dream for launching all kinds of homesteading courses from that, whether that's gardening or knitting or... Yeah, all kinds of various creating. And I would love to get to the place where we can do those things in person again. Um, So much craft is hands-on. You know, like you can Mm -hmm. read about making stuff. You can read recipes, but until you stick your hands in the sticky dough and feel like how the gluten structure changes as you're manipulating this bread, you really don't know what you're doing. And um, I also don't possess the electronic equipment Mm. to make courses beautiful that way that lots of people do so those exist online i'll probably just wait until i can do them in person again that's good that's talking our language a little bit with the craftsman craftsmanship that's right model that's that's bonhoeffer house dna right there we even when we get the technology we don't use it well we don't know (laughs) what we're doing we're trying to you know we're trying to be more craft yeah that's right we think of pastoral ministry as a craft that takes time takes time uh under the eyes of a master uh, someone who's good at it, someone who's experienced, and then uh, in a community. Yeah. And locally. Yeah. Well, and the people. Yeah, that's really, yeah. that's such an integral part of it for me too, you know, is I want to learn the thing or I want to teach it to somebody, but I want to do it shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. What book is currently on your nightstand? Oh my goodness, The Pile. There, well, currently I'm reading the Outlander series, so that's on there. And also the um, new autobiography of Barack Obama is on mm. my nightstand. Probably, a, I'm certain there's a parenting book um, of one manner or another. Uh, oh, they're keeping a family cow. That is on my nightstand right now also. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. 
final question. What advice do you have for someone who wants to start homesteading? Now, think about this as more of um, uh, the next step. Someone who's like got the means to really, I mean, I got a yard. I can do something. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for someone who wants to start? I would probably say start small. Nothing is more defeating than having a really grand vision, trying something, and it completely tanking. Mm. And especially when you think about something like gardening or keeping a small flock of chickens or something, it's really easy to rip out the dirt. It's really exciting to put the seeds in the ground. But three months later, when there are weeds everywhere and the bugs are eating all the stuff, you really want to give up. And so I would say you need to start at a manageable pace so that you can have success that will propel and motivate you to continue doing that in the future. Um, if you decide I want to be a homesteader and you rip out a quarter of an acre to plant, you know, a whole year's worth of vegetables, you're going to fail. And that's not because you're a failure. It's because that's an impossible task for a new beginner. And then you're going to lose your desire to continue. Mm. So good. You also just like, right. You just nailed it. You just described <laughs> the way that I garden. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's and the sad. weeds spot, pop up and you are tempted to give up and you, uh, some of us do. do some of us do more <laughs> than just our temptation uh -huh. to give up yeah excellent i like that that's right in line with another bonhoeffer house uh dna part of our culture start small go deep but dream big dream right. big yeah i love that but start small go deep i stole that from someone else but uh, we've made it our own. Thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. This has been really, really interesting. I'm I'm pretty excited about making something. Yeah. I might bake bread or something tonight. I'll be looking out for that uh, sourdough starter. And we'll be checking in with you about how many gallons of milk you're getting from your heifer. <laughs> from Lucy. From Lucy the heifer. Thank you for joining us. Episode 26 of The Hammer and Quill. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, throw some five-star reviews our way. Until next time, peace. Peace.